It is time for midday, as I can't remember sometimes to uh, push the right button. That's all. It's a Friday, though, so uh, we're allowed to do that. We are ready for midday here, and the roundtable begins our day. As always, the good thing about it is today is Friday. We're joined by Susan Littlefield and Bob Brogan. Jason Jorgensen et al. And uh, we'll start with you, Susan, on a Friday. Getting some rain out there across the state of Nebraska. How are things looking on your side? Knock on wood, uh, it's still dry yet, but that's okay. We'll take any sort of precipitation that would uh, come our way. It was cool temperatures this morning. I actually thought it was a little fall-like out there, and that leads into our 1219, where we will have El Dutcher talking some weather with us. Well, Big Ten, and I'm sure it'll be all Husker talk coming up at 1245 with Jason. And then it is, of course, Friday, as you mentioned, which means it's Fridays in the field. We will head to the southeast part of the state, a beginning farmer, to check out how his first-year crops are looking. All right. Very good. Thank you, Susan. Be careful out there. Jason, uh, I guess I guess she meant we're not going to talk about the Gophers. That's Maybe. how I took that as well, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll get so to the Gophers we will eventually. Sometime. But, but coming now. up today, we will hear from head coach Scott Frost and what he had to say when he was at the Big Ten Media Days earlier this week. So if you missed any of those comments, there's several topics that he was asked about. How did you think that he, uh, you know, we've seen a lot of how coaches comport themselves at these things did you think he came off looking pretty decent i thought he did a great job okay i mean he was confident yep uh, i didn't think he was too arrogant the guy's got a plan he's going to return things to the way they were so that's now how long that takes yeah that's true that's that's another question i think people need to pump the brakes a little bit sure you know, sure but they, it is excitement we haven't had around here for a while so he's that's selling true. hope yeah he's he's <laughs> That's it's right. that simple. It is. It's it's hope to return to an era. You know, he's gone he's by. the he, the high priest of the Husker religion right now. Yep. So that will be coming up as a newsmaker. Also coming up, we'll talk a little uh, Major League Baseball action. There continues to be a few trades here or there. The Cubs made a trade yesterday, trying to uh, increase things and improve things with them and their uh, pitching staff. So a little bit of this, a little bit of that on a Friday, and we won't have too many more Fridays before. Uh, Things will be fired up around here again. That's right. The schedule went out. Mm-hmm. So it's it's ready to go. Uh, trade deadline, by the way, that's July 31st, yep. right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Next week. Okay. We'll take a look at that. All right. Busy day as always on a Friday as uh, the financials get things settled. Bob, what are you looking at right now in financials? Well, it seems like right now the tech stocks are taking a little bit of a little bit of a whipping. Uh there was a slide in Twitter today, yesterday, as you recall, uh, Facebook was mm-hmm. kind of sledding down the hill and heading toward the trees, which we've all done a time or two. <laughs> With no breaks. With no breaks. <laughs> no and uh, let's see, what else? The U.S. economy was surging in the April-June quarter, and President Donald Trump is celebrating that report. He's pretty happy about that. Well, the GDP was way up, right? Yes. That was good news. Yes. And, I mean... You know, if uh, in a lot of parts of the country it is surging, not necessarily in uh, farm country, but uh, we're we're holding on to our hopes right now, just like the Huskers are. All right, very good. Selling hope right now on the midday. On midday, that's all coming up on the rest of midday. Dewey Nelson on the World Radio Network. 
Mike Zuzalo with us from Global Commodity Analytics. Sounds like you're on a little bit of a tour. Is it a crop tour? Yeah, annual crop tour and going to see the mother-in-law, Dewey. That's the thing we do in the middle of end of July, and uh, we're heading to Illinois and going to the Indiana-Illinois border uh, in between Chillicothe and Brookfield, Missouri right now. I, I would say the crop is as bad as advertised by the crop conditions ratings uh, for this part of Missouri. It's probably the worst-hit part of the state, and uh, have seen some corn silage choppers running around uh, as we got through uh, east of St. Joseph. So. It'll be interesting, though, to especially to see what's going on in Illinois because that's supposed to be one of the best states. I've been hearing from more and more clients that they're kind of running out of time on corn to get some good rains. Well, here we are. We talk about some great crop conditions for corn in some other parts of the country. So does this mean the near-term corn trend can still remain positive? I think so. I would put wheat in a corrective phase, so that keeps corn on the on the long longer side of spreads, I think, Dewey. I think the big thing will be the crop conditions report on Monday. I was surprised to see them go up, especially in the states they went up. We'll see if USDA reverses that, given not only what I think really is going on and what we've had in terms of weather this past week. Uh, this last seven days has been a lot of spotty showers, and even in your state of Nebraska and my state of Kansas, there's been areas that have probably pushed backwards in terms of crop development. Well, we've had some encouraging news regarding the U.S. and the European Union. Are there other factors that are bringing soybeans back up to positive territory? Yeah, we had some fresh sales in both corn and beans. We did 270,000 corn sales this morning and uh, 154 and a change in soybeans to unknown destinations. You get something like that after a trade deal's been signed, it tends to build a little bit more of a positive momentum, but we don't see any bullish reaction to that. We're just keeping the market in the narrow trading range heading into the end of the week. I think probably the fireworks would probably most likely be, if anything, in the wheat market. If we're going to find any kind of additional selling pressure once Europe closes, uh, it'd probably be there. We're talking with Mike Zuzlo of Global Commodity Analytics, who is on the road. Soybean meal, again, what's your thoughts there? Well, we're, I think we tested a major support line of that 200-week moving average. We did that two or three times this week, early in the week, with the good news coming out of the trade, and it's still a $1.80 crush margin. I guess I feel like, Dewey, that unless we see uh, a fresh wave of negative news on the trade front, um, the crop conditions, I would expect to support the beans along with the corn. And it looks like to me that as long as we stay above 860 in lead month beans, we can call this week kind of a technical victory on the charts. We've come to Friday without any big cash cattle development across the country. And are livestock futures reflecting that with a little bit of anxiety here? Yeah, and I would hope that they would build a little bit more premium in the futures market. I felt like the outside lower day in the uh, cattle, we did get back to you know Thursday's range on the close, but it was a pretty ugly day testing that 100-day moving average. I'd like to see a little bit better price action here going into the close, 75 to a dollar higher in fat cattle would just do me just fine to make me feel like, okay, we've got another chance to try and get those futures to catch up to the cash prices. And lean hogs, again, were under pressure. Where's your thoughts on that uh, scenario? Yeah, along with the crop uh, tour, I'll probably be talking a lot more about the hogs on the blog, so sign up for a trial, because that's going to be something I'm going to put some pictures up on the hogs. But this is where uh, the market's got some real dealings with the Chinese still on the hog side. Mike Zuzalo, Global Commodity Analytics on the World Radio Network. Well, we've been talking all week that Friday into 
Saturday. There was a good chance of some storms and some precipitation. I'm joined by Paul Perkins, and things are starting to heat up a little bit out there. Yeah, we did have a severe thunderstorm morning out towards Sydney just a little bit ago. That storm is now below severe limits, but that shower and thunderstorm activity just to the east of Sydney, that's moving off towards the southeast of them. Showers and thunderstorms in between Yuma and Ray. We do have a little bit of activity now into north central uh, Custer County in between Milburn and Weissert right now. That's starting to crop up. It may be some light rain to the south of Loop City. Also some lighter rain towards the northwest Nebraska Panhandle. Some activity already starting to get going. Uh, temperatures, though, on the pleasant side. Most of us in the low and mid-70s across the area. Very, very nice stuff. I like that. Exactly, and thunderstorms are developing across the High Plains. They will move into west and central Nebraska and Kansas later on this afternoon into the evening. Our best chances for severe weather across west and southwest areas, a little bit closer to that area of low pressure. Now, they have moved that risk for severe weather a little bit farther towards the east. The Storm Prediction Center now placing a slight risk of severe storms along and south of the line from North Platte to Lexington and Smith Center to Russell, Kansas. Now, earlier, Lexington, uh, that slight risk was not into the Lexington area. It's now into the Lexington area. So along and south of the line from North Platte to Lexington and Smith Center to Russell, Kansas, a slight risk of severe storms, a higher risk of severe storms in an enhanced risk along and west of the line from Ogallala to Cambridge and Hayes, Kansas. That got moved farther to the east also because there's now a moderate risk of severe storms along and south of the line from Imperial to McCook and Quinter. Of course, that is the highest of all three of these risks. It's not the highest risk, but there is, uh, you don't get a moderate risk that often. But once again, that moderate risk of severe thunderstorms over far southwest Nebraska and northwest Kansas along and south of the line from Imperial to McCook and Quinter. Today, much cooler with those temperatures, about 10 degrees cooler than normal. The weekend will stay unsettled as low pressure tracks through the plains. Our next best chance for more thunderstorms with this low tomorrow night into Sunday. Temperatures will remain cool also through Monday. High pressure taking control for Tuesday through Thursday for some warmer and drier weather. In our long-term forecast, Nebraska and Kansas temperatures likely to be seasonal or near normal the first nine days of August. It may be a bit cooler than normal the middle of next week and a bit warmer than normal towards the 9th. Average daytime highs for central Nebraska in early August are in the upper 80s with average overnight lows in the low to mid-60s. Near normal to below normal rainfall is forecast for Nebraska and Kansas the first nine days of August. Key weather factors in the market include mainly favorable conditions for crops in the Midwest and hot weather in Europe. Over the next five days, widespread rain expected from central and southern sections of the Rockies and Plains all the way to the middle and southern Atlantic. Very hot weather will remain across the far west, while near or below normal temperatures will blanket the central and eastern U.S. Dry areas in the southwest part of the Midwest will see some showers increase over the weekend, especially through south central and east areas early next week. Increasing rain and cooler weather should help to ease the stress for corn and soybean crops in key growing areas of Nebraska and Kansas. The showers may also break the heat wave in southern growing areas early next week. Not much rain is expected for key growing areas of North Dakota and nearby locations the next seven days. Hot weather in eastern areas of the northern plains will be short-lived. That dryness may affect the filling of crops. Hot temperatures that are about 15 to 20 degrees above normal and dry weather continues in England, France, and Germany. Drought has already affected the winter wheat. Spring rains are now being hurt. A cold front this weekend going to break that heat with a few thunderstorms, but drier and hot weather will return after that. And we now have a new severe thunderstorm warning into the Nebraska Panhandle. 
Northwestern Scotts Bluff, Southwest Sioux County, and East Central Goshen County in Wyoming. Uh, that's a severe thunderstorm warning up until 1130 Mountain Time. A severe thunderstorm right now over Torrington. That's moving towards east at 25 miles per hour. Could see some quarter size hail and locations that look to be impacted include Torrington, Mitchell, also Morrill, Lyman, and Henry. Real close to the Scottsbluff area, but not quite into the Scottsbluff area on that severe thunderstorm warning. That's kind of the tail end of those storms we were talking about earlier down in uh, that are now down past Sydney just a little bit. So Exactly, yeah. Um, it looks like most of the activity currently in a band of some thunderstorms are uh, kind of a short band of thunderstorms front in the southern portion of the Nebraska Panhandle, most of it to the east of Sydney right now. But it is moving towards the east, so west central areas of Nebraska need to look for this also later on. Probably a poor tend of things to come as the day goes on. We'll yeah, it's going to get more. a little more active with this system, a little more energy than was thought yesterday, so it could get quite active over the next uh, 24 hours here. Busy, busy. That's uh, something, again, we, we lots of stuff going on this uh, weekend. We've talked about that. So if you're going somewhere, you probably ought to check and see what the forecast looks like. Good place to go do that, Paul. KRVN.com. All right. Thanks a lot, Paul. Dewey Nelson with a market update on the Rural Radio Network. Corn is near unchanged. Soybeans a little bit higher. Trade deal between U.S. and Europe may be a good sign there will be success with NAFTA. Minneapolis wheat is higher, but uh, the winter wheat futures market has struggled to tag along because of weaker Paris milling futures. September corn, 361. December, 375 and a quarter, both down a half. August soybeans eight sixty five and a quarter, September eight seventy and a quarter, and November eight eighty, all up four. Chicago September wheat five twenty nine down seven and a half. Kansas City September five thirty and a quarter down three and three quarters. December five fifty seven down three and a half. Minneapolis September wheat five ninety four and a half up six and three quarters. Well, we haven't seen much as far as cash cattle trading. And that's left an uncertainty in this cattle futures market, but lean hogs are sharply lower. August live cattle, 108.20, up 25. October, 109.95, up 57. December, 113.85, up 20. February, 117.27, down 5. August feeders, 152.10, up 67. September, 152.02, up 20. Far deferred contracts lower. October 152.60, down 27. November 152.35, down 77. August lean hog, 63.67, now down $1.22. October 50.77, down 147. December 46.52, down 92. Wall Street, the Dow under pressure as well, down 132 at 25,394. NASDAQ down 131 at 7,720. S&P 500 down 28 at 2,813. The experts know that ESN Smart Nitrogen is a superior option to conventional nitrogen. Who are they? They're the progressive farmers who use ESN. And they can tell you that it's just a better way to manage both the agronomics and economics of their nitrogen inputs. They also know it's an excellent choice for fall application. It spreads out their workload and helps them avoid planting delays in spring. Corn growers like to blend it with P and K for one complete fertilizer application. Plus the ease of handling means they can cover more acres in less time. Farmers planting winter wheat appreciate that they can put more nitrogen down with the seed. In fact, up to three times the seed save rate of urea. 
And because ESN is engineered with an advanced polymer coating, their nitrogen investment stays in the ground where it belongs until the plant needs it. But don't take our word for it. Talk to a farmer who uses ESN. Ask your retailer about ESN for fall application or visit smartnitrogen.com. FDA Commissioner details agency's plans for labeling dairy and plant-based foods. I'm Shaylee Peters, joining you now on the Rural Radio Network. Let's take a midday look at your ag news for a Friday. Food and Drug Administration Commissioner Scott Godlieb on Thursday said the FDA intends to make decisions about the labeling of cow's milk and plant-based milk in relation to potential public health consequences as part of its program to modernize standards of identity. In a statement before FDA's meeting on that program, Gottlieb said plant-based foods are being positioned in the marketplace as substitutes for standardized dairy products, but these alternative products are not the food that has been standardized under the name of milk and which has been known to the American public as milk long before the 1938 Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act was established. In addition, some of these products can vary widely in their nutritional content, for instance, in relation to inherent protein or in added vitamin content when compared to traditional milk. Gottlieb said FDA has received case reports that feeding rice-based beverages to young children resulted in a disease, a form of severe protein malnutrition, and that there has been a report of a toddler being diagnosed with rickets, a disease caused by vitamin D deficiency after parents used a soy-based alternative to cow's milk. He added, because these dairy alternative products are often popularly referred to as milk, we intend to look at whether parents may erroneously assume that plant-based beverages nutritional contents are similar to those of cow's milk, despite the fact that some of these products contain only a fraction of the protein of other nutrients found in cow's milk. National Milk Producers Federation President and CEO Jim Mulhern said in a statement, we are pleased to see that the U.S. Food and Drug Administration has finally recognized the need to increase in scrutiny of plant-based products imitating standardized dairy foods. And it's Friday, which means it's Fridays in the field. And this week we head back to southeast Nebraska where Bryce Duskett has an update for us. A number of timely rains have been very favorable for Andrew New Year's corn and soybean crops near Waverly, Nebraska. Rain, as far as that goes, is pretty good for this area. Uh, stuff's looking really well, looking really green. Not really many complaints here. We've ran our irrigation a little bit. We have been able to shut it off with each rain that's come through, so that's been really nice for us. According to the latest USDA Crop Progress Report, nationally, corn silking development was 19 percentage points ahead of the five-year pace. Soybean development also continued to run well ahead of normal, with USDA estimating 78% of the crop blooming as of Sunday. The well ahead of normal trend is something Andrew is seeing out in his fields as well. Yeah, I would say so. Um, I think for soybeans, we're a good two weeks ahead of schedule. Um, these, those normal mid-August rains we could use right about now. Um, then with corn, um, corn's doing just what corn does. It did really well in the middle of the part of the summer, and now it's kind of slowed down a little bit, which that's doing all right. You can see the full video feature with Andrew New Year online at RuralRadio.com. I'm Bryce Duskett reporting. 
And finally, the Wheat Quality Council's Hard Red Spring and Durham Wheat Tour ended yesterday with an estimated average of spring wheat yield of 41.1 bushels per acre, above 38.1 bushels per acre last year, but below the five-year average of 45 Point four bushels per acre. Find that full update by visiting ruralradio.com. That's a look to your midday ag news. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. It's time again this week to visit with our Nebraska Extension Agricultural Climatologist, Al Dutcher. I'm Shaley Peters on the Rural Radio Network. And Al, another nice week of cool mornings. Some areas getting shots of rain here and there. But what can we expect headed into this weekend and next week weather-wise? Well, some of the cooler weather that we've seen already this week is just a prelude to what is coming down the pipeline with this upper air trough that is going to push a cold front through the region over the next 24 hours. The numerical models at this point are starting to show a slowdown of that trough, and it may extend the precipitation across the state a little bit longer than it was showing yesterday. But overall, the general idea is as the trough begins to deepen, moving through the northern plains toward the Great Lakes, that's going to bring in very cool Canadian air. going to remind us somewhat of fall-like conditions this weekend. We will have to deal with cloud cover and precipitation. The big question on the precipitation is exactly where will it fall. And the models in the last 24 hours have actually pulled the precipitation more southward than it was depicted yesterday. It looks like the heaviest precipitation, though, will remain from the northwestern portion of the state, southeastward toward the southwest. And then instead of bringing that across northern Kansas and extreme southern Nebraska, they're actually bringing that heavy precipitation band continuing in a southeast direction toward northeastern Oklahoma. So some of those areas of south central and southeast Nebraska that 24 hours ago were producing on the quantitative precipitation forecast um, about double what they are in this latest run. Why is this important? Because as this trough pivots toward the east and starts to weaken, we start to see the ridge from the western United States start to build into our region. And as it builds into our region, of course, the heat is going to return. So unlike last year, where we locked into a cool pattern the entire month of August, and it really began toward the last weekend of, uh, excuse me, the last full week of July, Unlike this year, this looks to be a temporary function, and that ridge looks like it's going to build in. And if the models are correct, uh, this will start an extended period of above-normal temperatures as we see that persistent troughing pattern that's been in place over the upper Great Lakes and northern plains for the better part of the last four to six weeks is now going to shift to a troughing pattern entering the western United States, and that's going to displace the ridge from the southwest toward the east. And if the models are correct, we will return back to the 90-degree temperatures, at least in the western part of the state, as early as the middle of next week and as late as next Friday, depending on the speed of this upper air low as it progresses toward the east. More importantly, as you look a little bit farther out, it really starts to bring that ridge and surges it into the central plains with the center of it on the GFS model located over north-central portions of Iowa. 
That means a broad-based area of above-normal temperatures looks to be developing as we get from about the 7th to the 10th on to the end of the forecast period. So that takes us out to the middle of the month with no signs that the trough in the western United States would be making inroads. So we'll wait to see for a couple more days of model runs to see if this confirmed or not. But if it does... That means that this precipitation, especially in some of these dry land challenged areas that have been missing out on some of this precipitation over this last month, particularly south central and southeast Nebraska, may actually start to see the impacts of those drying conditions. All right. Thanks so much. It's Nebraska Extension Agricultural Climatologist Al Dutcher. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Time for us to check in on sports. Here's Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Scott. Well, Nebraska has its quarterback for its 2020 class as Athens-Alabama prospect Logan Smothers committed to the Huskers while on an unofficial visit to Lincoln yesterday. The six foot two, 180-pounder was on his second visit of the summer to Nebraska and announced on social media that he's thrilled to be a Husker. Now, since Scott Frost has taken over as head coach, there's been a 33% turnover on the roster. He talks about that strategy going forward. Faster we can get more more players in the program, more good players in the program, and more maybe more players that fit us and what we want to do, um, the quicker we'll turn it around. And we definitely had some holes to address, some issues to address with the roster. We tried to address some, as many as we could, as fast as we could. Uh, but we're being smart with every step, too. I, I don't want to bring anybody in just to bring them in. we got to bring in the right kind of kids and the right kind of talent. In other football news, former Husker Jared Crick worked out this week for the Buffalo Bills. Cozad native was a fourth-round draft pick of the Houston Texans in 2012 and had spent the first four years of his career there. The 28-year-old spent the past two seasons with the Broncos. However, he missed all of last year with a back injury. Prior to that injury, he was pretty durable. He played in 79 of 80 games, 47 of which were starts for his career. Crick has 199 total tackles at eight and a half sacks. Training camp is underway for the Denver Broncos. Now, this offseason, general manager John Elway made a number of changes to the roster. The biggest acquisition was the signing of quarterback Case Keenum. Offensive coordinator Bill Musgrave has been impressed with how he's acclimated himself to the team. Well, he's a winner, number one. He um, approaches every day the same way, professional, um, very much into it. Uh, and I think the guys have really rallied around him, both on offense and defense, just because he's the, the same guy every day. He's consistent and uh, definitely cares about his teammates. Keenum is coming up the best year of his career, which was with the Minnesota Vikings. And the Washington Redskins have signed backup quarterback Colt McCoy to an extension that keeps him under contract through the 2019 season. The team announced the deal today. The NFL Network reported this week the contract could be worth up to $7 million. McCoy is entering his fifth season in Washington. And the Chicago Cubs have acquired veteran left-hander Cole Hamels in a trade with the Texas Rangers. Chicago also received cash in today's deal in exchange for right-hander Eddie Butler, minor league pitcher Raleigh Lacey, and a player to be named later. Hamels is in the midst of perhaps the worst year of his career, going 5-9, and nine, 4.72 ERA and 20 starts with last place Texas. That is a look at sports. Stay tuned. More middays just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. I'm Dave Schroeder. A chance of showers and thunderstorms tonight across the state with the highest chances in the east and central part. Some storms may produce locally heavy rain. Be listening to KRVN for the latest in weather information. I'm Dave Schroeder with News. Senator Bob Christ and Senator Lynn Walls are on a property tax listening tour during the month of July. 
Christ is Democratic candidate for governor, and Walls is running as his lieutenant governor running mate. The tour took them to West Point on Wednesday, where Chris said his campaign is facing hard work ahead, and he wants to find alternatives for Nebraska. We need to find a proper mechanism for the funding, uh, continuous funding, continuity of funding in education. There's no question about it. Education is creating a, a uh, sinkhole, uh, and property taxes are, are being piled in trying to trying to uh, fund that, that process. We need to find some alternative co- crops. Um, I think uh, the industrial hemp is a, is a great alternative. We need to make sure that our... Uh, um, Internet sales tax, which uh, the governor uh, was not supportive of last year, continues to be supported. And most importantly, both Lynn and I are are huge education, mental and behavioral health and substance abuse um, proponents. And I think we need to restore some of those processes across the state. Kristen Walls are running against Pete Ricketts in the November 6th general election. Ricketts is completing his first four-year term as governor. A $160,000 Pick 5 jackpot winning ticket was sold recently at a Casey's General store in Lincoln, Nebraska. And a $5,000 Lucky for Life winning ticket was sold recently at a Phil and Chill convenience store in Lexington. Authorities in central Kansas say a 63-year-old man has been arrested after 40 animals were seized from his property. Barton County Sheriff Brian Bendler says his office assisted the Golden Belt Humane Society and the county health department at a home north of Ellenwood. Officials removed 20 cats, 4 dogs, and 2 chickens from inside the home. Another 10 cats, 2 dogs, a horse, and a donkey were found outside the home. A decaying horse carcass that had been there for months was found in a barn All the animals were taken to the Golden Belt Humane Society. The home was deemed unlivable. Sheriff Bendler says that Cletus Walford was arrested on charges of cruelty to animals and maintaining a public nuisance as well as obstruction of officers. Great ag and news coverage at your fingertips. Click podcasts and videos right under Listen Live at krvn.com. Reporting from the KRVN News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. Jason Jorgensen on the Rural Radio Network. Nebraska head coach Scott Frost was on hand for the Big Ten Football Media Days this week in Chicago. He spoke to the general media for about an hour. He was asked about a number of different topics, including some of the challenges that he might face at Nebraska. I don't, I don't think there are challenges other than putting in the work to get it there. Um, I, I, I'm always complimentary of what we accomplished at Oregon, what Chip did, what Mark did. Those guys are great coaches. Uh, and they, they took a program and got it to the top of college football for an extended period of time. But when I was out there, some of the games we lost were some of the most physical games. Um, we lost to Ohio State. We lost to Auburn. We lost to Stanford. Um, as a, and, and to be honest, we, we got beat a little bit physically in those games. And as a former Husker Power Nebraska uh, quarterback that saw what made Nebraska great, it frustrated me. And I always said back then, if we could take this offense and this speed development in our scheme and marry it with old school Husker power, we won't lose the game. And I was being facetious, but we we did that in Orlando. We got Zach, an old Husker power guy involved, and our team got big and strong, and we were physical. And we mixed it with our scheme, and we didn't lose the game. Um, I'm not saying that's going to happen again, but I like the formula and the things we're putting together. Frost was also asked about his strategy of recruiting, given the fact Nebraska does not have a big population base. You're not in the, right in the heart of a, a 
a big time recruiting area. Um, I, and in fact, I I think if you look at the history of college football, it's challenging to win outside of those areas. Uh, probably in my lifetime, you can think of Nebraska with Coach Osborne and Oregon with with Chip and Mark and maybe Colorado uh, when they were winning national championships as the, as the only schools that really uh, excelled and were at the top of college football for an extended period of time outside of a high, highly valued recruiting area. Um, there's challenges there. They're not over, overcomable challenges, uh, but we're going to have the type of program that will bring kids in from all over the country. We're going to do a lot with kids once they're there. Uh, we're going to do it the right way and build it the right way, and hopefully that will give us a chance to be one of those programs. Now, Frostfields, being from the state and having played for the Huskers, gives him an edge when it comes to knowing just how big of a deal this is for the state. I, I know how, how much Nebraska football meant to the state of Nebraska because I was a kid that grew up there. Um, the hopes of the state, the identity of the state, are wrapped up in Nebraska football. Mine was when I was little. Um, I, th I think the intimate knowledge helps you. It's, it's helped me from the standpoint that I know... Like I've said a bunch of times, a lot of the things that made Nebraska special and what helped Nebraska be elite. And maybe coaches that didn't grow up and see that or weren't around Coach Osborne might not know those things. Um, so in some ways it's been really helpful. Um, we know we're carrying the mantle and the hopes of a lot of Nebraskans, and, and we're going to do the absolute best we can with it. Now in his first year as head coach, Frost will be breaking in a new quarterback. Having played the position himself, he says he's already told his guys what to expect. The, the most important lesson they got to learn is they can't go anywhere in Lincoln or the state of Nebraska without everybody knowing what they're doing. Uh, that just comes along with being a Nebraska quarterback. Really a Nebraska football player, but especially quarterback. Um, there's always eyes watching, there's always a camera phone on them. Um, makes you grow up fast makes you make all the right decisions but those are all the decisions you need to make if you want to be great you want to be a leader anyway so it's just going to happen for those kids quicker than for some others all i have to do is tell them about my experiences in nebraska for them to understand that the criticism can get too loud and the praise can get too loud usually they're both wrong and uh, you just got to keep a level head keep your emotions level uh, don't read any media right tom <laughs> Uh, that's the best way to handle it. And uh, I'll make sure those guys know those things before the season starts. I don't think so. Uh, the only people who really know about that stuff are Ryan Held and Greg Austin, maybe Barry Rude, the guys that are around it. But they don't need to know. Uh, I'm not asking for them to feel sorry for me. I'm in a pretty good spot. Uh, but I want them to be armed with the knowledge that that... You know, it, there's a lot that falls on the Nebraska head coach. There's a lot that falls on Nebraska quarterback, and that's common to football. Uh, the head coach and the quarterback are going to get most of the praise when it's good, and you're going to get most of the blame when it's bad, whether it's right or whether it's wrong. Uh, you got to be you got to be a grown up to handle that as a kid. Sometimes it's good because you learn how to persevere, and and that toughness will serve you well. That was Nebraska head coach Scott Frost. Some of his comments from earlier this week at Big Ten Media Days in Chicago. And just observing him and watching him with how he uh, handled the media. Of course, a huge Nebraska contingent was there. But this was the first chance that Frost really had a chance to talk to other members of the media, both nationally and from the uh, Big Ten footprint. And uh, 
as far as I'm concerned, he did a great job. He came across very, very well, seems to have the right answer for every question. He also seems to have a plan, and he knows what's worked well in the past for Nebraska, and we'll try to bring some of that back in as he sprinkles in some new ideas as he takes over this year in Lincoln. Reporting for the Rural Radio Network, I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stocks are falling. With the Midday Business Report for Friday, I'm Bob Brogan. A slide in technology companies is dragging down stocks in midday trading on Wall Street, adding to Thursday's losses. Twitter plunged 17.6% today after the social media network said its monthly users declined in the second quarter. The decline in technology stocks outweighed gains in banks, retailers, and restaurant chains. Amazon rose 1.8% after the online retailer reported its biggest ever profit as its advertising and cloud computing businesses kept growing. Smaller company stocks fell more than the rest of the market. Bond prices rose. The yield on the 10-year Treasury note fell to 2.96%. The U.S. economy surged in the April-June quarter, growing at an annual rate of 4.1%, the fastest pace since 2014. The Commerce Department reports that the gross domestic product, the country's total output of goods and services, posted its best showing since a 4.9% gain in the third quarter of 2014. President Donald Trump is celebrating the report, saying the U.S. is the economic envy of the entire world. He predicts that as he renegotiates trade deals, we're going to go a lot higher than these numbers. Meanwhile, the economy grew at a slightly slower pace last year than previously believed, but American savings rate was a lot higher. The GDP growth rate for 2017 was adjusted to 2.2%, down from 2.3%, while the savings rate was revised to 6.7%, up from 3.4%. Disney's $71.3 billion acquisition of 21st Century Fox's entertainment division is one step closer after shareholders approved the deal today. The shareholder vote caps a saga that began in December 2017 when Disney made its first offer for part of Rupert Murdoch's media conglomerate. With the Business Report, I'm Bob Brogan. Hi, this is Jim Baldonado with the Home Agency. Good afternoon. Dewey Nelson with a market report on the World Radio Network. And as we near the close, we have a modest gain in soybeans with the help of soybean oil. Winter wheat prices will end higher this week, but giving back some of their gains ahead of a weekend that is expected to see some light showers in Europe. The spring wheat futures, though, are still climbing. September corn, 362, up a half. December, 376, up a quarter. August soybeans, 869 and a half. Uh, September, 874 and a half, both up eight and a quarter. November, 884 and three quarters, up eight and three quarters. September Chicago wheat, 531.5, down 5. December, 551, down 5.5. Kansas City, September, 533.25, down 3 quarters. December, 560, down a half. Minneapolis, September wheat, 592.25. December, 606.25, both up 4.5. We're going to settle mixed in these cattle contracts, but higher in the nearby months. August live cattle settled 108.62, up 67. October 110.47, up 110. December 114.15, up 50. February 117.37, up 5. August feeder cattle settle 152.30, up 87. September 152.17, up 35. October 152.75, down 12. 
November 152.50, down 62. We end the day with triple-digit losses in the nearby lean hog contracts. August 63.65, down 125. October 50.87, down 137. December down a dollar at 46.45. The Dow down 81 right now at 25,445. The NASDAQ is down 106 at 7,745. You remember how it was, gathering in the shadow of Chimney Rock, taking a wagon ride, then lining up for the most delicious Nebraska beefsteak, seasoned green beans, baked potato, and sourdough bread. And now, Legacy of the Plains is recreating the event on the grounds of the museum, Saturday, August 25th. Gates open at 5, dinner bell rings at 6. Then stay if you wish for the music of Chansey Williams and the Younger Brothers Band. The dinner will sell out fast. Get tickets at 308-436-1989 or legacyoftheplains.org. This is Nebraska, 430 miles west to east, 77,000 square miles. To cover it all, News Channel Nebraska. One 24-7 news channel covering all 93 counties. For Nebraska news, weather, and sports, turn to NCN all day, every day. News Channel Nebraska. This is home. Next, we get a review of the livestock futures trade from Joe Teal at Great Plains Commodities. Joe? Yeah, kind of a mixed day uh, today. A lot of spread activity uh, in the cattle. Uh, buying the front end, selling the back end, and the same way in the feeders. Uh, haven't heard of any trade so far. Uh, bids uh, came, There were some bids out at 110, but everybody's passed so far and holding out for higher money. So it looks like if we see any trade, it's going to be... Uh, this afternoon, uh, even into tomorrow. So, uh, but it it was a, uh, a choppy trade too. We uh, uh, saw both sides of unchanged for uh, the, the cattle, and uh, but and finished mixed. And as I mentioned, uh, a lot of bear, bull spreading, uh, buying the front, selling the back. So that was kind of the dominant feature over there. And the hogs finishing lower again, cash leading the way. It's been. Uh, uh, lower all week, and today was no exception. Uh, the uh, cutouts did bounce back a little bit today, but uh, uh, it, it hasn't been a good week for the hogs and uh, uh, so far. And uh, as you look at it from a weekly standpoint, we're going to finish a little bit lower in the cattle, lower in the uh, feeders, and lower in the hogs. So all in all, uh, not a real positive uh, end to the week. Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. For more information, call him at 800-328-0134. Total cattle slaughter for the first six days this week is estimated at 640,000, 5,000 more than last week, 13,000 more than a year ago. And one hog packer had software updates this week, so the hog slaughter much lower than last week and last year. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. in southeast Nebraska for this week's edition of Fridays in the Field featuring Andrew New Year, young farmer who's getting started farming in the Waverly, Nebraska area. Andrew, last time we talked with you, crops were looking good. How do they look now? Still look pretty good. Um, rain, as far as that goes, is pretty good for this area. Uh, stuff's looking really well, looking really green. Not really many complaints here. We've ran our irrigation a little bit. 
we have been able to shut it off with the drain that's come through, so that's been really nice for us. According to the latest USDA Crop Progress Report, nationally, corn silking development was 19 percentage points ahead of the five-year pace. Soybean development also continued to run well ahead of normal, with USDA estimating 78% of the crop blooming as of Sunday. The well-ahead-of-normal trend is something Andrew is seeing out in his fields as well. Yeah, I would say so. Um, I think for soybeans, we're a good two weeks ahead of schedule. Um, these, those normal mid-August rains we could use right about now. Um, then with corn, um, corn's doing just what corn does. Um, it did really well in the middle of the part of the summer, and now it's kind of slowed down a little bit, which that's doing all right. Andrew noted that with some timely rains early in the growing season, even the less productive ground is producing a healthy crop. I'm impressed by our stuff that isn't supposed to do as well, our lower productive ground um, that's looking just as good as everything else has. So, But some diseases have made their way into the crops. In just about every field we've seen, gray leaf spot, uh, we sprayed oh, between half and two-thirds of our acres with the plane. Um, we did that to suppress the disease and then to make sure that the crop is standing when we get there with the combine. Most of the disease looks like it stopped in place. Uh, we weren't expecting like a, a total plant makeover, go straight back to green. Um, but stopping it for now is looking good and wait maybe another two weeks and then the disease will start working its way up the plant and hopefully uh, by that time we'll be into um, you know the later stages in corn and we won't need to respray. I asked Andrew if the weeds have been resistant and or persistent this growing season. Uh, resistance no, but persistence yes. Uh, when we came through in our post spring, um, for soybeans especially, looked like we got most weeds um, and now when we're coming back through um, rescatting fields for soybean diseases we've seen some volunteer corn kind of re-emerge that wasn't emerged the first time um, a few weeds that came out um, of their spray that they had um, fields looking mostly clean not nothing's perfect um, unfortunately but furthermore i was curious what andrew has learned the most this year and I'd say the biggest thing, focusing on irrigation, just to keep working the same plan that we've worked, even then it, when it does rain. Um, so you get a passive irrigation through something, you get a water in the whole thing, it kind of resets the field. Well, in some cases, at least in one particular field that I have, it doesn't, um, just sticking to the plan. And As the month of August nears, Andrew says he's keeping an eye on both the corn and soybeans. I would say soybeans um, as they go. Right now we've got pods on the lower six inches of the plant. Um, the next two to three feet are you know, coming up really quickly. Um, so keeping an eye on that. Corn um, looks like it's doing pretty good. We're you know, kind of waiting for dry down and dent and making sure it doesn't uh, abort any kernels and getting that kernel depth, especially on our irrigated fields. So. Next time we catch up with Andrew, it will be either at or very near the harvest season. Be sure to keep up with all of our Fridays in the Field segments by going to ruralradio.com. I'm Bryce Deuce, reporting. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network as we talk with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. A little bit of a different story to the grain and soybean futures today as we were mixed, especially that uh, wheat market, John. Yeah, we really shut the volatility down after a Wednesday night, kind of white-knuckle move higher. 
Um, back and fill, I think, would be the, the way I describe weed. I don't think we've changed trend, although I don't love to see that big top. 550, obviously, kind of the level right now that is going to have a difficult point for the front month futures to get through on the weed. Uh, you know, I've kind of been talking to guys in southwest of, uh, of Lexington there, northeast Kansas, looking like they have a pretty good wheat crop on hand or that they're, you know, essentially harvested. And um, I think 550, 560 is our target. So I think we got one more run up there probably before the delivery. Uh, I don't think you want to hold it until late August this year. Um, really, the, the value, in our opinion, is probably after the delivery here in September, and you essentially have what you have for wheat for the next you know seven, eight months until the next crop comes out of the ground. So uh, short term, I would be uh, optimistic that prices can get there, although I wouldn't you know bet on a big follow-through. Were the traders thinking, too, that we might have a shortage of high-quality wheat, and that's what raised Minneapolis? Yeah, I think the, the Minneapolis story was is just one of... Uh, uh, cross-up, I guess, is the way I'd put it. You have the USDA, and it's a little bit like this in corn, so in a couple of weeks we get the USDA report, watch out for it. Is You have the private analysts who are telling us one thing, and then the USDA crop numbers, the, the conditions numbers, saying another thing. So we have these huge 80% good, excellent ratings for wheat, and I think the market had built a lot of that in, and, uh, and then all of a sudden we didn't. And so I don't know, I think we really know who, what to believe at this point, but um, I think the French and the Russian markets are, are pushing the story here. Harvest will begin over in Europe here in a couple of days uh, for the early harvest, and then, you know, as we move up north, that's where a lot of the problems have been. Uh, so, I, I, again, I'd like to think we make a low on September delivery like we did last year. I just wonder how low that'll be this year. 480 kind of seems to be like a level that uh, doesn't really seem like it wants to break, and 560 on the upside. I think we're stuck between those two broad range numbers for the next month, month and a half. And a quick story on the, the corn trade, which remained unchanged. Yeah, I mean, I think a pretty decent day. I, rumors of a deal between Mexico and the U.S. Are, are really, I think, almost certain at this point. We should hear some announcements on that soon. And, uh, again, it's about yield, Dewey. We're going we're gonna to figure out here in a couple of weeks what the USDA thinks. Then we get the big crop tours at the end of August. So uh, as, as yield estimates go, I think this crop goes. I, I think short-term crops, kind of a, uh, the December price has a tough time getting above 380, 385. Thanks, John. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. Go to their website, danielsagmarketing.com. This is the Rural Radio Network.